0: Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 19. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up And loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants. And his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood. For the burnt offering. He set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day. Abraham looked up. And saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants. Stay here with the donkey. While I and the boy go over there. We will worship. And then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring. All nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. All
1: right, thanks, Jess, for reading. Um, again, I, I am just really very happy to be able to speak with you all today. Um, in particular, uh, again, I know I said it, and I'm going to say it again, and I'll say it often, often throughout the sermon. Thank you for praying for us. Uh, we went through quite an ordeal uh, a few weeks ago where it looked like we would have to leave our home, our church, our friends, our family, like our dreams, really. But God was faithful. Uh, and he, God loves to work through his people, as I've said, and you prayed for us. So the reason why I'm here preaching, the reason, the reason how I can continue to be a pastor at Redeemer is because you have prayed. Uh, So thanks for that. I'm convinced this is why I'm here today. Now a bit of a background if you're like, what in the world is this guy talking about? A bit of a background, here's what happened. Uh, As you can tell, my accent's not quite northern. I'm not from here. I was born in America. Uh, We've lived in Manchester, me and my family, for six years. And getting to stay here means needing a work visa. Well, an issue came up with that visa, and I was told we would have to leave the country in 30 days. That's not a fun phone call to have. Uh, when I heard that, I was thrown into a sense of uncertainty. I, I, I um, we've made a, a life for ourselves here, and we love living here. Uh, our dreams are here. Our work is here. Our friends are here. Our home. All the things. I mean, can you imagine knowing right now that you had to leave your home in thirty days and move to another country? Not just down the street, but another country. Well, by myself, I was ever lost. I don't know if you've ever. I, I was. Lost. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where uh, circumstances happened and you just feel like you're ungrounded. You're not rooted, you're just kind of floating. And in my life, I've had a weirdly high amount of strange circumstances like this. We were homeless for 13 months, moving around from friends' houses for every two weeks or so with a two-year-old. That was not very fun. And then there was the time where my father, who pled guilty to federal crimes, falsely accused me of a crime in order for him to get a better jail sentence. That wasn't fun either. I've had a really weird life. Uh, in uncertainty, I know that I can rely on my own strength. Maybe you're like me in this. But what I do is I, my first thought, I'm going to fight my way out of this. I'm going to you know, swing blood, sweat, and tears, and if, if I go down, it'll be with, with my fists flinging around. There's that. But then there's also the other side. Instead of fighting, we could also take flight. We can also run away forget about it all, just kind of sleep in, hide away, pretend it's not going on. It's all very disorientating. And in all of this, like most recently for me, um, my health was affected physically, spiritually, emotionally. I, by myself, I'm kind of a mess. And I think there's probably a little bit of mess in everybody who's watching this today. What I need, what you need, we need to be grounded in something. We need something to root us, especially in those times of uncertainty. To be shaped, I needed something that was better than me, that was more powerful than me, to shape what I was going through. And this is one of the reasons why we have these stories in the Bible. They aren't just history. They aren't just stories. They shape us. They form us. They tell us how to live. They tell us how to go through life. They give us the grounding that, that we really need, especially when we face uncertainty, especially when we face suffering. Now, you may not be facing an experience like mine, but in whatever kind of uncertainty you are facing, and what is the world but uncertain at the moment, in whatever kind of uncertainty you are facing, I know you can find your story in this story. And also know that this message is born out of my own uncertainty. I'm not like, pondering these ideas in my office by myself, like, oh, that's very interesting theological thought. Like, this is like how I got through this. And so this will be semi-biographical as I go through it. So apologies in advance for talking about myself. I'm American, so that's what I do all the time, right? Uh, But it's basically how I got through um, going through my own kind of uncertainty. And I think you'll find there's space for yourself as well in the story to find out how to go through your own uncertainty. So we're going to look at Abraham. Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Abraham is one of the patriarchs of the faith, and we're going to learn three things about God in this story. The first is we're going to learn about the God who tests, then we're going to learn about the God who provides, and then the God who blesses. The God who tests, the God who provides, and the God who blesses. Let's first jump right in. The God who tests right off the bat. First, the very first verse. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. There's no kind of confusion here there's no dishonesty there's no wool over the eyes this is what god was doing to abraham he was testing him it's very straightforward god calls abraham he says abraham abraham apparently knows god's voice and he says here i am god says take your son you know that that thing that you love more than anything in the world you know that thing that i gave you the blessing that i gave you yet take him and kill him sacrifice him and then absurdly what we get in the next verse Abraham woke up early the next day and basically got to work. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I I don't know, how how does someone live that way? How does someone respond obediently that way? And also, Abraham would have known exactly what God had meant by offering Isaac as a burnt offering. He would have known exactly what it had meant. To someone living in this place and, and in this time, and a burnt offering, this is what it meant. I'm not going to dwell on this for very long, but this, this, is, this is, in the text, this is real. A burnt offering is cutting the throat of whatever you're offering, dismembering the body parts, placing the body parts on a fire for it to be consumed completely. This is no abstract quest. This is no abstract question. This is real. This is rooted. This is horrific. This is the horror that Abraham would have in his mind doing to his own son, And Abraham would have seen this happen in the past. He lived originally, he's from Ur, where God called him from. And in Ur, there was human sacrifice, just like this. Abraham would have seen that where he lives now. In Canaan, there was human sacrifice, just like this. So it would be as familiar as it would be horrific. Abraham knows exactly what he's going into. And he didn't have Genesis or any other book of the Bible. He had God's voice. And what we're given here in these verses, what we're given here is there's no evidence of Abraham ever doubting or wavering. He just follows through. Now God's voice here does come, in Genesis 22, does come with a context. So Abraham had, from the the beginning of his, of what we hear about him in his life in Genesis, have been trusting God, Following through, not really often very well, uh, but kind of like flailing and stumbling forward. But always, at the very least, like listening to God's voice. And Abraham knew that even when he messed things up completely, God always saw him through, whatever the thing might be. God always saw him through. And that's that's in that context is where Abraham now hears God's voice, talking to him, speaking to him, asking him to do something that would be kind of mind-boggling to him. And yet Abraham knows, because of the experience he's had with God already, he's tread these paths of faith over a long time, he knows that God somehow is going to see him through. He doesn't understand, doesn't really know how, but he knows that God will. But, now you might have heard this story before, especially if you've been around the church, or even not, like it's a philosophical world. Let's not let the familiarity of the story soften it, because I think we really need to deal with a serious question that Genesis 22 brings up is this. Is God cruel? Is God cruel? If we're not struggling with that question, I don't think we're really getting into the story. We're not really bringing ourselves into the story. Now, I didn't dwell too long on the process of human sacrifice and a burnt offering, but let that sink in. Is there anything more horrible that a parent could do to their child? And this was Isaac. God had promised Abraham and Sarah, he promised them Isaac. Would he give something just to take it away? I mean, is God cruel? I have certainly wondered this in my life. If a God is a God who tests, is he cruel? And if we don't struggle with that, again, we're not really getting into the story. But as we kind of get in there, get into the story, here's some things to think about. If God is God, first, he has a prerogative to do whatever he wants. Like that, he can do whatever he wants because he's God. And in all the evidence that anyone has ever had access to. All the evidence we have, God has proven himself to always be good. He's never not good. So with all the power that God has, if God can do anything, if with all the power that God has, he has only done good, then we have to kind of rethink about what this testing means. He's never not been good. It could be cruel if the test is not for a reason. That that could be cruel. But with God, all testing is for a reason. There's lots of examples of this in the Bible. Maybe the, the quickest, shortest one is in Psalm 66, verse 10. It says, For you, God, tested us, you refined us like silver. You tested us, you refined us like silver. God tests us to refine us, to mold us, to make us into something better so that something beautiful emerges from it. But the thing is, we may not always know or understand all the details of everything that happens in our life. In fact, let's just be honest, we don't know or understand all the details of everything that happens in our life. At any given time, we probably have like one small percentage point of one small percentage point of what God is up to in the circumstance we're going through. And moving forward without understanding everything is impossible except for one thing, and that's trust. Another word for trust is faith. Trust and faith are synonymous. Without those, we can't get through this. So when I found out that our family might have to leave everything, like the church, like he called us from America to move here. We thought very clearly. He gave us this church very clearly. He's provided for it very clearly. How would I get through that except for trusting in the God who tests? When my family was homeless for 13 months, moving around from place to place, how would we get through that except for trust in the God who was testing us? When the FBI arrests me and puts me in prison because my father falsely accused me of a crime in order for him to get some kind of better sentencing deal, how can I get through that without trusting God? I can't. I'd be a mess. I was a mess anyway, even while going through that. Now, you may have never been asked to sacrifice your son. You may have never lived in the fear of leaving your home, of having to be forced out of your home. You may have never been falsely accused by your father of a federal crime, and I pray you never have to experience those things. But if God sees us through those kinds of horrors, through this kind of horror, he can see us through anything. Any level of uncertainty, any level of doubt, any level of questioning. The future of your job, what does it look like? Nobody can really tell you. The pain of loneliness living in what feels like an endless cycle of addictions that you just can't seem to get yourself out of nor share with anybody because you're ashamed about it all of us each one of us can find our story in this story of abraham our god tests us to refine us i was reading an interview with uh, an american who was a prisoner of war for years during the vietnam war uh, the journalist interviewing, interviewing him was taking a really sympathetic tone, kind of um, saying it must have been horrible, it must have what you lived through, you must have seen some horrible things. How could you ever live with that? And the former POW said, yes, it was horrific, it was horrible. And they talked about the horrors for a bit, but at the end, the tail end of the interview, right before everything was wrapped up, the former POW said he felt sorry for the journalist. And the journalist was kind of taken aback and surprised, like, why would you feel sorry for me? Because a former prisoner of war said this. He said, I did go through horror, but I came out and survived. I know I can do it. You don't know that. You could guess, but you don't actually know. When we go through things, God changes us. And unless we go through those things, we will never be changed, and we will never know. God's testing is not cruel. It's for our good it refines us, it molds us. And God always works within relationship. He's not just kind of sitting back like flinging horrible things at us. Oh, what are they going to do now? Let's see how they get out of this mess. No, he's there with us. He's in it with us. He's walking with us. And when we're tested, our true nature really does come out. The Lord tests the heart. So it's plain to us where we go. The Lord knows where we go all the time, but we don't often, we're not like Abraham where we go to the Lord all the time, right? Like, Let's let's just be honest. Like, How many of us, if if asked this horrible thing, would be like, well, I cannot wait to wake up early in the next morning and get to work on this horrible thing. Like, No, we would probably avoid it or find some other way out. The Lord knows all those things. We aren't always that spiritually self-aware. So when we go through those difficult things, it tells us, oh, this is what repentance looks like now. I need to stop doing that and start doing this. So, when we read this story of Abraham, it reminds us of another story. In the New Testament, many, many, many years later, many more pages of the Bible later, after Jesus is born, he's baptized, the Trinity is on full display, there's like this climax of Jesus coming to earth, and then it's glorious, and do you know what happens next? The Spirit of God leads him in the wilderness to be tested after this like, wonderful thing, it's not like all of a sudden all the crowds are coming to Jesus and he's like the rock star of Palestine. He's in the wilderness by himself. He's not eating and he's being tested by the devil himself. That's like a few of us have probably actually experienced the devil himself testing us. Now say what you will about a God who tests. He takes his own medicine. He goes through it himself. And Jesus, in the uncertainty and ambiguity and difficulty of the wilderness, tempted by the devil himself, Jesus relies on what? How how does he survive? He relies on the very words that we're reading, the Word of God. He speaks the Bible just as we would need to. He quotes Scripture to get through, and he came out the other side without ever giving in. He came through completely perfect, obedient, never giving in. Now, Jesus was tested and came through in complete obedience, and that makes this whole message different than, shouldn't we just be a lot more like Abraham, which, you know, might be true, which although sometimes that message could be like you know your life, here's your life here could you just like do a little better like just a little bit better okay just like a little bit not a lot maybe you know we don't want to do, we don't want to overwhelm you but just like a little bit better just do your same life and a little bit better that's not what the story is about. that's not what the gospel is about. Abraham is a good model of faith and we need those models of faith but what we also need where we would be completely helpless if we didn't have would be to be empowered ourselves the power to go through it ourselves. We need the ability because we don't have it in ourselves. What Christians get is Jesus' spirit working through us. That same spirit that walked through temptation, that walked through the wilderness and came out perfectly, that spirit, it's in us. It's in here. And that's what we get to rely on. That's what we get to to have us take us through things that we can't be taken through ourselves. So that's the God who tests. We also learn about a God who provides. Now, provide is a word that comes up, it's only twice in this section here, but it comes up in really important sections, really important parts. When Isaac asks about the sacrifice, maybe a bit nervously, right, walking up the mountain, Uh, Dad, where's the sacrifice? I don't know, what was Abraham running through all the kind of options in his head? How am I gonna respond to my son? Abraham says, God will provide, in verse eight. And when Abraham marks the occasion at the end of it all, he names the place the Lord will provide, in verse 14. The God who tests is the God who provides. They're not two different things, they're not against each other, it's one and the same God. They are one and the same. Just a moment on briefly on what provide means. Uh, provide has two aspects. One is a prophetic aspect, two, to see through. If you're in like a dark place, uh, to be, the ability to see what's on the other side. God knows what's on the other side because he knows everything. He knows where Abraham is gonna end up eventually. There's that prophetic side, but then there's also a caring side of walking through with this with somebody, like of journeying with them. Uh, to see them through means to walk them through all the steps, to be close to somebody. Abraham's answer to Isaac, even knowing that the knife is in his pack, in verse 8, the Lord will provide. The Lord will see to it. He's going to see us through, son. Now, if we have a God who tests and does not provide, that God is not one worth worshiping. You shouldn't be watching this. You should just sleep in. You should go do something better with your life. If that's a God that we get to worship, he's not worth the worship, if he even exists at all. A God who tests and does not provide. And maybe there, you know, there's a cliche that you've heard before. God will never give you something that you can't handle. Maybe you've said this before too, like well-meaning. Is that what you'd say to Abraham? It's like, oh, cheer up, Abraham. God will never give us something that we can't, you know, handle ourselves. I bet he thought he probably couldn't handle it himself. My thought. I've been in many situations that I know I couldn't handle. And in fact, I think fundamentally, being a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus is the exact opposite of God putting us in situations that we cannot handle so that he will be able to see us through. For Abraham to have this kind of faith shows us how intertwined his life is with God. It's not like a, I'm gonna show up or I'm gonna watch a thing and then, you know, do the rest of my life. This is like, it has to be connected deeply. This is how our God is a father, a good father always provides. Now what must it have been like for Abraham, walking up the mountain, his son next to him, chit-chat on the road maybe, all the while in the back of his head, thoughts of what he's going to have to do to his son. He knows what sacrifices are like. His own utter helpless kind of desperate prayers he must have been like banging around in his head. Now Abraham was not good enough to change the situation. He wasn't. He wasn't powerful enough to do anything. He is a weak old man and nothing in this situation did he have but trust in the God he provides. That's the only thing he had. Nothing else. And if you're anything like me, when you come up against what seems like an impossible situation, you're going to work like crazy in your own strength to make it maybe a little bit less impossible. And sometimes we can do that. Of course, we're called to work hard in all situations. But other times, it does not matter how much you work, the situation remains impossible. And when all your work can't change your situation, what do you do? Where do you go? If you don't follow Jesus... There isn't much on offer for you there. You might have people who love you and who care, care for you and do everything in their power they can, but you need more than people. They do not have the power to change things in your life that you need changing. They don't have that ability. And if you do follow Jesus, I'm willing to bet that you're prone to forget him, because I know you're a human being and that's what human beings do. I think either way, everyone watching this live stream, whether you follow him, whether you don't, whether you're thinking about him, we all have the same problem. There are things in our lives we can't fix on our own, and some things in our lives will never be fixed. Given this reality, what do we do with that? Abraham has a place to go to. He goes to the Lord. A faith that must have seemed ridiculous. Abraham, the same God that got you into this mess, you're going to trust to get you out of it? That's what, that's what you're going to do, Abraham? Where else can I go? He's the one who provides. And that allows him to keep walking. And how did God provide? Well, at the last moment, with the knife raised above poor Isaac's head, what was going with your Isaac's mind? God sends an angel to stop Abraham, and he doesn't have to kill his son. Now, there is still a sacrifice. God doesn't stop a sacrifice, but God provides for a better one. Abraham can keep walking, can keep on the path because of his faith in the Lord. And to be honest, the only way me, anybody can keep walking is because of the Lord. When confronted with having to leave our home, three things kept me and Christina sane and on the path of faith. The first thing was prayer. I needed to talk to God often. I needed to tell him I was angry with him. I needed to tell him I thought he was cruel. I needed to ask, tell him he didn't know what he was doing. I needed to ask him, like, why are you doing this? Like, what's the deal? There were two kinds of prayers, actually. One was crying out for God to change the circumstance, and the second was asking God to give me the kind of heart that will surrender to him in whatever circumstance he gives me. And it started with the one, and we always prayed for the one, but I found over time we were praying a lot more for the second. So we needed to pray. We needed to talk with God. Second was reading the Bible. I needed to hear God's words louder and stronger than my own thoughts, my own fears, and all the other kind of things that were going on. I needed his word above all the lies that say, you can do whatever you want. Just work hard and try hard and intend to do good. I needed to hear God's word. Thirdly, we're God's people. It's very basic. Prayer, Bible, community. Right. We needed to talk about what we were going through openly and honestly with people. We needed to read with people. We needed to pray with people. The Christian life is not something that you do on your own. And we also needed to receive faithful, encouraging words from friends. And God came through in all those ways. You see, as the church, we pray about the testing and we also pray for the providing. That's what we do together. This isn't a solo thing, we do that together. And this is how Jesus taught us to pray. And by us, I do mean plural, like, us together. He said, this is how he taught them to pray for daily bread. Daily, if you pray to the Lord for daily bread, you're asking, God, I need what's going to sustain me today, not even like next week or even tomorrow. And I know I don't have what's in my hands in order to, for me to be sustained today, but you do. So I'm going to ask for you to give that to me. It's that helpless confessional kind of prayer. That's the kind of thing that leads us to trust in a God and a God that only can provide the way that we need him to. Only he can do that giving us what we need when we need it. And in our story, God does not stop a sacrifice, but he provides the sacrifice, a better sacrifice. And that, again, reminds us of another story. This time, not on a mountain, but in a garden. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, faced a horror even worse than Abraham. Jesus surrendered to the one who provides. Do you know that? Stories where Jesus, before he uh, gets arrested, before he goes to the cross, he's in the garden praying with his disciples. His disciples are sleeping because they're not really dedicated, and he's by himself begging the Father to remove this cup from him that he's about to go through with the cross. And then what does he say? He says, not my will but yours. Not my will but yours. Facing horror, Jesus himself is surrendering to the Father. And God's will meant for Jesus to be crushed. God's will meant for Jesus to be the sacrifice. There was no relenting this time with Jesus. No other ram was to be found. In fact, the ram in Genesis 22 is Jesus. That's where these stories connect. And Jesus, on the cross, in complete surrender to the Father, that rescue meant the Father's Son did have to die this time so that we wouldn't have to mount moriah is only good news if jesus surrenders at the garden of gethsemane and because jesus did surrender we get rescued god has provided for us a new life a new way of living in this world a way to not only navigate uncertainties and difficulties but also a way to know god to experience his presence like in daily life as if it's normal to always be with him in life and in death now in any of our circumstances We're never promised that things are gonna go smoothly. We're never promised that things are gonna work out and that we'll have this like happily ever after kind of life. That is the false gospel of the middle class. That is Western supremacy. That's the ideal of consumerism. And the more you get into that, the more it's gonna swallow you whole. It does not give life. And our hope isn't in this world being organized to make everything easier for us. Sometimes the objects of our love will be sacrificed dreams, careers, relationships, desires, but what Jesus' death and resurrection teaches us is that even in the worst of all cases, even in death itself, being united to Jesus means life cannot be stopped. There is a life in all things, and that life is Jesus. Christianity teaches a better story than anything else out there because it says whatever happens, Whether things work out the way you want or not, whatever happens, our God will always provide. He is our rescue. So we've seen the God who tests, the God who provides. Lastly, this story teaches us about the God who blesses. This will be an amazing story if it ended there. Like the ram is sacrificed and they go home skipping, and that'd be great, but no wait, there's more. Uh, Starting in verse 15, God renews his promise to Abraham and couches it in Abraham's obedience. In verses uh, 16 and 17, he says that, because you've done this, Abraham, and have not withheld your son, your only son, this is God saying, I will surely bless you. And not just Abraham, but God will bless his descendants through him. Everyone will be blessed. Not, so what Abraham was going through was not just for himself, no, and he's not just getting the blessing. No, this it, blessing, it, it ripples outward. The same thing for us. We don't often think about other people when we're in difficult spots, uncertain spots. The question of how in the world can this bless other people, that rarely comes into our life, but it will have the, has the, at least the possibility of blessing other people. Because there's a blessing that comes for Abraham by his faith and uncertainty. The man who went up that mountain is a different one than the one who came down. Abraham not only had a head knowledge of who God is through God talking to him, But he's had a lived experience and this is generally true when you walk through being tested and experience god's provision there is a blessing and not just for you there are blessings to be had on the far side of suffering you have to go through it there are things we can't know or understand unless we go through that process you have to go through it and often those processes are not particularly enjoyable so we avoid it but then we also we miss out on so many things That means when we face a difficult situation, if we try and hide, run away, pretend it's not there, we're gonna miss out on life. We will miss out on knowing God. If you only know God through easy times, you will end up with a very shallow faith. It's not gonna withstand anything. Abraham already had known God through some really tough, uncertain circumstance, and no doubt this was going to be another layer on another layer on another layer to his faith. This is an aspect of the blessing that we get. So if I was to ask, what is uncertain in your life? What worries you in the immediate future? What comes to mind, like exams, jobs, anxious about guidelines being lifted, anxious about guidelines not being lifted, possible illness, grieving over loved ones, whatever it is, and we all have them. In all of them, there's a little kernel of an invitation in each one. God uses these moments in our lives to invite us to be blessed by him. And that sounds counterintuitive, right? It's not something we would think of right off the bat. But isn't that just what this story teaches us? It's exactly what this story teaches us. Abraham was blessed. But hang on. We're not Abraham. We're not even Isaac. We're not even Old Testament Israel. How really does this connect with us? It's all about verse 18. Look at me in verse 18. Through your offspring, Abraham, this is God speaking, through your offspring, All nations on earth will be blessed because you obeyed me. All nations on earth. How can that be true? What in the world? The only way God can be speaking truth here and not lying to Abraham is because of what Jesus would do thousands of years later. Through the offspring of Abraham. Fast forward generations, generations, pages in the Bible, we get Jesus in that line. And he has died and he has resurrected. And we've talked about all the connections to Jesus already. There's so many of them in this little story. The way our life connects with the life of Abraham is through being connected to Jesus. That's how it works. If we aren't connected to Jesus, this story can really not do much good. Maybe it's interesting, but other than that, it's worthless for you. Through what Jesus has done, he has lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again, and through that, anyone can have access to the Lord. That's what the all-nations thing is about. Any background, any ethnicity, anyone. If you're gay, if you're straight, anyone. If you're rich, if you're poor, anyone. If you speak English or speak Urdu, anyone. If you support city, you're united. Even in that, I think anyone, everyone is invited to follow Jesus. And following Jesus means surrendering ourselves to him. Our lives will change when we do that. And some things will be difficult to, get up, to, to give up but our lives will be for the better. This resurrected Jesus now, what is he doing? He's reigning in heaven. He is reigning in heaven. He isn't sitting idly by, hoping that people are going to make good decisions. Like, oh man, I sure hope people like me. I wonder if I'm cool now. He's in control over it all. he He's reigning over everything. And he has sent his spirit to us, enabling us to live in this otherworldly way that we're reading about here today. Because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that means come what may, he will see it through, just like it did with Abraham. And when the Father calls, and he will, we say, here I am. And when the Father says, that thing you love, you know, that thing that you really love, that, that thing you love, I'm calling you to give it up. What we do, we get up early the next morning, as much as it pains us, as much as it's sadness we have to bring with ourselves, and we work to follow him. It might be a mountain, it might feel like the garden, but in all things, in all situations, in all tests, we have a God who will provide for us, a God who will bless us, he will see us through. Because Jesus has died and resurrected for us, he can see us through anything. When I talk about the gospel with other people, the gospel is the good news, this good news of what Jesus has done for us. When I talk about it with other people, I don't think I've come across anyone who thinks it was a bad deal. Everyone thinks that's actually an amazing deal. It's like too good to be true kind of deal. Like there's no way that's true. There's no way God loves me that much. There's no way Jesus kind of went through all those lengths for me. Like it's never, in fact, often it's too good to be true. Like there's no way that's true. It's It's just too good. It has to be a fairy tale, right? It has to be. Here's the thing, it is too good, and yet it is also true. And whether you're a Christian or not, all of us can lean more into the love of God. We can lean more into a life of faith in the face of uncertainty. We can lean more into the life of Jesus. For some of us, it might be rediscovering this love. And we might be re- maybe we need to realize our uncertainties or difficulties are invitations to know God, Maybe his love has felt kind of distant. Maybe it's felt kind of stale. For other people, it might be discovering this love for the very first time. But if you have this, if you have this, if you are connected to Jesus, why would you not lean into this more? Why would you not? I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. I'm sorry it's painful. But why would you not lean into that more? And if you don't yet have this kind of life, why in the world would you refuse it? It's not good for you. It's not good for others if you refuse this. It's not good for you if you refuse. Why in the world would you refuse that kind of love to be a part of your life? This is the God we have. He tests us, yes. And through that refining process, we find a God who provides and a God who blesses. The ultimate reality found in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Let me pray. God, we thank you that you love us beyond really our own comprehension. Our imaginations are stretched and find their limits when thinking about how much you love us, Lord. And even in a small uh, chapter in a book called Genesis, Lord, we get even that small little glimpse gives us a massive view into who you are, how big you are, how much you care for us, how powerful you are, and how you are determined to bless your people. Lord, I pray for myself and everyone else listening to this, joining in on this, that we would surrender to the love of God, whatever that might mean for where you are. Maybe you don't know anything about Jesus. Maybe you're like wondering about him. Maybe you've been with him for a long time. Lord, all of us can surrender more to your love. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you will never forsake us. So Whatever difficulty we go through, we're not alone because you're there with us. So we pray for these words to work in our hearts. And we rely on the God who provides and blesses. We pray in your name. Amen.